0: We're looking through a lot of titles through here this morning, titles and subtitles of this series. This broader series is called "Grounded, Growing, and Glory." Uh, the broader series of First Thessalonians that is encompassing the scope of First Thessalonians. The context of which would be Paul, uh, Silvanus, Timothy, uh, addressing the Thessalonians as or the Thessalonians as. Uh, A people that were young in the Lord, growing, and needing a lot of instruction about what it means to grow in Christ. So therefore, it is very much a disciple-making book. It is what it means to follow Christ, what the Lord would want us to know in a very short epistle. And within each of these chapters, there's instruction, but there's also within each chapter... Towards the end of each chapter is a an eye to the future. <clears throat> so grounded, growing, in glory, the idea of glory, of what's in front of us as believers and understanding that what God has us to know in these truths are to impact us right where we are today. So it's not just the idea that there's instruction and that God has something for us in the future, but that instruction should affect how we navigate the world today, how we feel about the world today, how we look at the things around us, what focus we have, and what even emotional status we have as we navigate through this world. So we're in the second, First Thessalonians chapter five, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> we covered verse one with an eye towards verses two and three uh, for today. And we're going to be dealing with, in particular, we're going to take some time to deal with a phrase in verse two by comparing several passages to understand the concept in verse two. Uh, quick update I uh, got from Randy on Savannah. She is a little a little more than a month old, maybe like six weeks old, five or six weeks old. Uh, there was a dog attack for those that don't know. She was bitten on the head, and she, wasn't expected to live the night. She has been through quite a few surgeries already. Uh, she is back to having seizures. And uh, they are looking at putting in a port to feed her. Which, as you can imagine, there's all kinds of difficulty involved with uh, the prognosis moving forward. But that's the update as I have it. And all I can say is holding her before the Lord in prayer is uh, a good place to be. And we'll trust the Lord for what he's doing there. First Thessalonians 5. As we look at navigating in this world, just even upon making that announcement, we recognize there are a lot of difficulties that are going on in the world around us. A lot of things that uh, take our attention. And so we reflect back over to verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, speaking to believers, you have no need that I write unto you. We gave some inferences as to why There was no need to write. Paul had already given a lot of instruction as to the times and the seasons, and the Lord had given a lot of instruction as to the times and the season. Some of the application of which last week was there were times in Scripture where God rebuked people for not being able to identify the season. Specifically, that was the season of the Messiah's coming, the gospel mystery being unfolded and revealed. And so there was a rebuking for not being able to discern what time it was. But there is no need uh, for these Thessalonian believers to have received this instruction of the times and seasons because they had already been well taught. So we've explored that as a body as well. So we understand that the times we are living in are times in which God has ordained for you to be in. It is a time where the gospel of grace is preached to the world around That is that the gospel is offered freely to all, that the long-suffering hand of the Lord today is so that there might be a turning in faith to Christ, that there might be a gospel call that would go out, that people truly would be saved, that there would be an understanding that this life is volatile, this life, uh, this journey, it's a messed up world, and if we ever needed the Lord before to say the song, we sure do need him now. And uh, all of us would say amen to that, I hope. We need the Lord today. And this is the time of the season. today. The day, this day is the day of salvation. So this day, for someone gathered in this room, this could be the day of your salvation. And it's an encouraging thought. So, not to re-preach verse 1, but in leading through that, there were many passages we cross-referenced. So, Paul is simply saying, you understand what time you are in. You understand that there is a working of the Lord. And that working of the Lord has a particular avenue it's going to take in verse 2 where it says, For yourselves know perfectly that as you have a mature and full understanding of this, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now we'll cross-reference some other passages that have regard to that teaching. But this was a teaching of the Lord. There was a reason that Paul could say with assurance they knew these things. And here's what you know. If you know your Bible at all, if you've read your Bible at all, you understand that God has given a savior and his name is Jesus, amen? So if you've read your Bible at all, you know that God has given a savior and his name is Jesus. You know that he's a savior not only by the works that he did, you know know that he's a savior uh, because of the final exclamation point of his work of saving grace. That is, he goes to the cross, he dies on our behalf, and he is a resurrected savior. So we have hope because Jesus is alive, amen? We have hope because he is a living savior who offers us life. He promises to every believer that you will be resurrected unto life. We ended, we ended chapter four with that glorious truth. The idea that verse 17 and 18 of chapter four, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet who? To meet who? To meet the Lord. And where are we gonna meet the Lord? In the air. And it says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the idea there is to comfort one another with these truths. So here's what we know. If we know our Bibles at all, we know that Jesus is the Savior. We know that he is coming again. And that he's coming again for us. So if, he, if, if we die before he comes, we will be raptured to meet him in the air. We also know that the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're to be comforted with that thought. But then we also have further into this chapter the idea of what's coming next. And so verse 2 would tell us this. We know with an idea of of well-rounded knowledge, of mature knowledge, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The truth there to be known is that the day... Of the Lord, so cometh. Now we'll expand upon the rest of the verse in just a moment. But here's the assurance that we have: that Jesus is coming again, and that assurance and that truth is going to affect everything that we experience or that we're experiencing in this world. All right. So we looked a little bit at this last week. I'm not going to go to it at this point right now. But Second Peter. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, talks about the end times and what's going to be happening there, and, and, and we looked at that largely last week. But in that passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, there was a reference to the day of the Lord. So, this idea of the day of the Lord is what we're going to explore for here just for a moment. The day of the Lord, as translated in our King James Version, occurs some 20 times in the Bible, 16 of which are in the Old Testament, four of which are in the New. So in our exact phrase, the day of the Lord, there are more verses that would reference this concept, but not in just that phrase. It would reference that great day or the coming of the Lord, but that exact phrase, the day of the Lord, 20 times. Okay, 16 again in the Old Testament, four in the New. It references, and this is important, and I think maybe you want to tuck this away, and maybe you're in the habit of writing things down. This would be something worth writing down. It references the Lord's or the Lord actively engaging mankind to work some particular aspect of his will or plan. So the day of the Lord, it is a reference to the Lord actively engaging mankind to work some particular aspect of his will or plan. So this would fly in the face, the aspect of the, the day of the Lord would fly in the face of the idea that God somehow created the world, set it spinning, and let it go. It is just letting the world do what it does. Instead, the day of the Lord is particularly addressing not just one time, but many times in Scripture, it had a very present meaning, but also a future meaning as well. So the day of the Lord conveys several truths, and we take some snippets here, and if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to be moving along. There's going to be an Isaiah and then Joel. Isaiah chapter 13 for two of them, if you would like to look. Isaiah 13. So what would the day of the Lord convey? Do you have an idea on this? Now, if we're talking about discipleship, and you're talking about explaining the day of the Lord, we would need to know what that means. So... It's a reference to God engaging mankind to work out some aspect of his will or plan. Many times with the very present, immediate in the Old Testament application, but also with prophecy, an eye to the future where God would do something else in the future. Now what does it convey? Well, often the day of the Lord conveys an aspect of imminence. Something is about to happen. It communicates nearness, that is, something close at hand. It conveys the idea of an expectation. I'm expecting that that near or that imminent event, which is close at hand, that it will be an expectation of that to come to pass. It also has this. It often conveys an aspect of judgment. Okay, and that is going to be true in our study in First Thessalonians chapter 5. So it conveys imminence, nearness, expectation, judgment, along with the idea of judgment. You can include other words like wrath or the uh, executed anger of God's wrath. So Isaiah 13 and verse 6, and again, there's more context to these, but it references the day of the Lord, and you get a bit of the flavor of that. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. So again, when you reference the day of the Lord, it is an acting of God, an act of God, where that God steps in in a very forcible way into time and history to make his presence known and to do things that only God can do. The idea of howl ye was the idea that there was not just trepidation but a right aspect of fear and understanding the hand of God is coming. Okay? Verse 9, a few verses later, we read further, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Again, many times in the Old Testament, there is a very present uh, application to which that verse spoke, but often as well, it not only gave a present application, but a future prophecy that was yet to be fully fulfilled. So the day of the Lord, an eminence, a nearness, an expectation of judgment, with the idea even in the Old Testament of howling the fear of, of oh no, this calamity above all Things to be feared is truly falling upon us. Verse 15 of Joel chapter 1. Verse 15 of Joel 1. I'm going to read for you. Alas for the day. It says exclamation point. Alas for the day. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is at hand. And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Interesting. That in these verses, you have both the aspects of the present the present presence of the day, but also an eye to that future calamity, that future destruction, okay? So this verse, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Let me ask you this, is the Lord coming back? Does he have a plan? Will man thwart that plan? So politicians get picked on a lot because they say things. That deserve some picking, okay? And I don't remember which one it was, and I won't mix it up because I, I will mix it up. But there was some governor, I think, somewhere. Remember, you might, might remember when the coronavirus was just picking up, I think it was New York, but the coronavirus was picking up and whoever it was, the politician said when there was a dip in the numbers, he said something along these lines, the Lord didn't do that, we did that. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Uh, I don't think I'm making stuff up, okay? So, uh, uh, but you have this idea in the world very presently of a world that is more and more godless. Let me ask this question. Because a world becomes godless, does that somehow negate the existence of God? Because a world becomes godless, does it somehow make the power of God diminutive? Does it somehow decrease the authority or power of Almighty God because someone says, I don't believe or I don't want that to be true? In other words, God is still God even when man does what man does. And the God who is supreme overall is a God who has a plan for this age that God is working. Many would argue that we see the seasons. Many would argue that today we see the signs of God's working. Right? Matter of fact, matter of fact, I want to say this. Uh, many have questioned. In the world's political climate, social climate, uh, and even calamities that happen, there's an earthquake here or there's there's a, a war there, does that mean that God has sent his judgment? Well, yes, it does in a broad sense, but is that necessarily the end times judgment? Well, let me say this about that quickly. The world is presently suffering under the consequence of sin. Be speaking the truth that there is a need for a Savior. Amen. There is a need for a Savior. So the world is experiencing all of this stuff, and the Lord has come. In John 3:17, God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, my paraphrase, but by him that there might be some that would be saved." So this long-suffering of the Lord is, is a day where God is using the events of the world to show man His frailty to show man his finiteness, his limitation, and to cry out that there is a need for a savior. This day of the Lord will do something else. This is not just a day of eminence, nearness, expectation, and judgment, but the day of the Lord has something else very prominent to its flavor. And that is the day of the Lord is a day of God working in man's lives or mankind's lives to bring about something that God absolutely wants to happen. I want you to think about this for a moment. So before I give it to you, I want to ask you this. This is something that's been recurrently coming to me. You've heard it, you heard it a couple Sundays ago. I want to ask you, what is your take on the arrogance of the society in which we now live? Are we proud? Are we self-centered? Are we all about me? Are we all about getting what I want? Um, What's your take on the arrogance of, society today. I'm gonna, I, I've been saying this, and I don't, I, you know, we only have the snippet of what we're seeing in life right now, right? So this snippet that we're seeing, we're often tempted to say, there's never been a generation like this one, right? We're tempted to say those kinds of things. But I have been saying, in time and history, I wonder if there's ever been more of an arrogant society than what we're seeing right now. And here's why I would say that. We have society And I would say people who name the name of the Lord, but even more so the lost, that are looking at time in history, and are looking back on time in history with a judgment that says, we are better than anybody that's ever come before us. You've heard of the greatest generation, right? Have you heard of the greatest generation? What generation would that be? Anybody want to reference that? What was the great generation? Anybody reference it? It would be World War II from my memory, World War II. But I I would argue that the greatest generation by perception would be the way this generation sees themselves today, that this is the greatest generation so that you can tear down every statue of history as if that's somehow going to make history go away and as if we are somehow better than anybody else that's ever walked the planet. As somehow we are not sinners. In other words, there's a look to today that says, if you open my closet, there would be no skeletons. If you look in my life, there would be no deficiency. We are better today than everybody that's walked before us. That seems to be the case. And Derek even mentioned it. It is brief reading of scripture and take on people's judgment of one another. And that is the idea, I'm doing it right, you're doing it wrong. And that really is magnified in culture today over all kinds of issues. The day of the Lord has a very specific aspect to it. And I hope you'll stay with me on this. The day of the Lord is a working of God to humble man. So I'll ask you this Does man need to be humbled? Isaiah chapter 2, if you want to look at two verses, Isaiah chapter 2, chapter 2, both these verses will be verse 12 and verse 17, Isaiah 2, verse 12 and then verse 17, for the day of the Lord, as we read in Isaiah 2, I'll give you a second to get there, Isaiah 2 and verse 12. What I just did is I sent everybody that I've got an email address to, I just sent you an email with a Bible study from Blue Blue Letter Bible over the day of the Lord, so you can take a look at that later. Isaiah 2 verse 12 says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Verse 17 of Isaiah 2, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted, and you have a different phrase, in that day, okay? As you look at the day of the Lord, God will certainly put forth his hand to make man a aware of this fact. If you are going to find salvation, if you are going to find redemption, you are not going to find it in yourself, in all your fighting, in all your wars, in all that you're striving to get. The only way that you're going to find salvation is to humble yourself and come to the cross. Humble yourself and come to Jesus. There is not a person who gets saved without humbling themselves to come to Jesus? Salvation at its core is the recognition that I am a sinner under the just, holy, and righteous hand <clears throat> of a God who is angry at my sin and will execute justice upon it. Humility is recognizing the fact that if I am not saved i will be under that hand of judgment the saving grace of god is that he will rescue everyone who humbles themselves and comes to christ the message of the day of the lord <clears throat> is a message of imminence nearness expectation and judgment it is also a reference to the humbling work that god will do A couple other statements about the day of the Lord. The New Testament calls it a day to be expected, a day of wrath, a day of visitation, a great day of God Almighty. It has a definitive reference to the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church, and then the judgment that will follow. It is all of this expectation, and here it is. That there is a God to whom I am accountable, and that God I'm going to stand before face to face, and I'll either know him as my Savior or my judge. How will you know him? Have you ever seen a little kid that knew they should be in trouble? Have you? Know what I mean? I don't know, I don't know which age kids start to know this and exhibit this, Um, but Joe's three, and sometimes Joe knows he should be in trouble, and mom and dad don't know why. But it often looks like this, for whatever reason, mom will call Joe or I will call Joe, and when he comes to us, when he's been doing something that we don't know about, when he comes, he will look up at us, and, and as he starts to grab our hand, he'll say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, why is he saying, what are you doing? He really means, what are you going to do? <laughs> that, that is exactly what he means. I, I watched him do this yesterday. Mom had called him into the room. He was doing something. I don't know what he was doing, but when he came in, something about mom's disposition, he came in, what are you doing? What are you doing? It is the day of mom's wrath upon us? It is the day of calamity upon us? That's what he was asking. This, you, you guys understand what it means to feel like you're in trouble when you deserve it? No? Nobody knows that? There is no better classic example of that when you're driving down the road and police lights come on behind you, and you think it's you, but it's really Bonnie. And uh, <clears throat> and she had loved to tell you that I have more tickets than her, but don't listen to her because I'm in the pulpit. Be quiet over there, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The lights come on behind you, and they pass, and you go, oh, Praise God. <laughs> And then for the next half hour, you go the speed limit, you know. So the day of the accountability, the day of the accountability, that judgment has come to your doorstep. I'm going to read this statement about the New Testament one more time. The New Testament calls it a day to be expected, a day of wrath, a day of visitation. It is the on your door on your door. A great day of God Almighty. Again, it has a, defin- a definitive reference to the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church, and then the judgment that will follow. But remember that the day of the Lord has a very present application as well as a prophetic fulfillment that is yet to come. And of the days and seasons, we are aware that God is working his plan right now. The ultimate or final fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the day of the Lord will come at the end of history when God with wondrous power will punish evil and fulfill all his promises. To understand this day of the Lord and God's desire for us to be ready and to know the season, there are passages that we should explore. So we will go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, if you would. Matthew 24, and let's look at verses 5 through 8 together. Matthew 24 and verses 5 through 8. Now, I'm reading from the King James Version I have here, and I'm going to ask if you would like to read out loud with me to join me. I think it's healthy for the church family to read the Bible out loud together. Matthew 24, verses 5 through 8, would you read with me? For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. All these are the what? Not the culmination, but the beginning. Where are we at in that timeline? Well, God has made this clear. We do not know. His return is imminent. We are to be expecting it. It could happen at any moment, but he is the only one that knows the time or the hour. We do not. By his design, we do not. And he tells us in this passage in particular to not again be troubled, see that you be not troubled, and then there's a statement in, the, in, in, in this passage, for all these things, what? must, hello, must come to pass. Why? Because God has a plan. And God is good at what he does, and God, hello, will accomplish his plan. So I've said before, and I'll take a moment here again to say, all these threats of what's going on in the world is just the wrangling and writhing of sinful man in a sin-cursed world, there are going to be a lot of events that look horrible. Matter of fact, I cannot imagine what life looked like at the time of Hitler's Germany. I can't imagine what the world felt like then. I, young enough to see the pictures to which people want to deny. And look at history and say, and again, this is not popular language. Nobody, It's popular, but nobody likes it. The idea of the snowflake mentality that we we, we, we have it so bad. The reason I think we think we have it so bad in society today is because we don't have any clue of history. If we did, we'd maybe have a lot more grace and humility than we do. But throughout those times in history, I'm sure every believer thought, boy, the Lord's coming. Boy, the Lord's coming. And he is. But he is the only one who knows his time. He's the only one who knows exactly when that's going to happen. And here's the thing. In this time, the processes that the world are going through in all this wrangling is a process of God's plan working itself out. There is no nail-biting of a holy God looking over the embattlements of heaven at mankind saying, oh no, what am I going to do? Have you ever felt that way? Well, I have. How are you going to handle this situation? How are you gonna handle that? What will we do if? There are many wondering right now, what, you, what will you do If the election goes a certain way in November. Have Americans ever bitten their nails over that before? God has a plan. These are the beginnings of sorrows. And God says that these things are going to happen. Another passage that tells us what's going to be happening is 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. And I'll ask you to turn there. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. So the day of the Lord so cometh. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. We'll reference that last part here in just a moment. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Would you read that out loud with me as well? 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, reading with me. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, That in the latter times, some should depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Let me ask you, does it begin to feel like this some today? Hello? Does some of this feel like today? Are people's consciences seared I know, that, I know that this is not new news to you, and, and I think I have permission to say it as long as I don't give names, because I don't know the people anyway. But Abby was telling me, my oldest daughter was telling me about working at a place, and she was working with people um, that she was not used to being around, uh, and that was what we would call today the full-blown, flaming, liberal mentality. And this is how it worked itself out. They were, to, Abby was talking with a co-worker who was in their 30s. And the co-worker um, said to her, uh, you know, I really believe that the government should forgive all student loans. And after all, my mo- it was my mother who didn't save for my college. It was my mother who didn't, Uh, get extra jobs, whatever to pay for my college, and it's not my fault that I have to pay all this stuff back. What do you think about that? What I'm saying is that there is a spirit of entitlement. There's a spirit of, this is in the world. Now, in this room, this crowd here would be a crowd that would typically reject those mentalities because of biblical doctrine. You would, you would say the teaching of the Word of God talks about personal responsibility and finances and all that. But there is a mentality out there today that is believing false doctrine and believing lies, and our world is full of it. And here in this passage, 1 Timothy 4, it says they will have an eye or an ear to give themselves to seducing spirits. Now, seducing spirits... They seduce by offering things you want, by gratifying the flesh, by drawing you in with a lure. So that then there is also not just the seducing spirits, but the doctrines of devils. If there was ever a day where we needed to preach and teach the doctrine of the Word of God, it would be today. But if there was ever a time where we're getting worse at holding the truths of the Word of God, that would also be today. so that you have many believers being infected with a worldly mentality without the scrubbing work of the word of God. And let me tell you this, man has never come up with a plan that is better than the plan of God. It goes on to say in verse two, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So much so that today, I believe as well, there's a rising tide of violence of man upon man because I believe I'm right. It doesn't matter who you are as a person or an individual. I'm right, and I because I'm right, can execute violence upon your life. It is the day in which we live. These things are not only imminent, but these things are present in the world today. So we turn to this phrase, and for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Take your Bibles back to Matthew 24. We'll look at a few verses there, and then Matthew 25, one verse there. Matthew 24 tells us something about the coming of the Lord and a perspective that you and I are to hold. So Matthew 24, I'll read it for us. Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, Again, there's a lot of wrangling over, well, why the illustration? Why is it said in that way? Why does he talk about coming as a thief in the night? The major point is the last part of those verses, and it is this, the Son of Man cometh. There is coming that day where I will be face to face with God, and the question is this, will I be ready? Are you ready in this room? Are you ready For the coming of the Lord. Are you ready to see him face to face? Matthew 25 verse 13 says this. Watch therefore. For ye know neither the day nor the hour. Wherein the son of man cometh. But here's the phrase again. The son of man cometh. He is coming again. All these phrases are to assure us of this fact. Replete and given over and over and over again. Is the imminent return of our saviour. The admonition is to be ready. The admonition is to be ready, not just the lost, but the saved. And you might say, well, how does that play itself out? The admonition is an admonition to the world, and it's a gospel admonition. You do not want to be at a place when the Lord comes where you don't know him as your Savior. Hello? You do not want to be at that place When the Lord comes, that you were not ready for this promised, prophetic, and sure truth of God that He is coming back. And if He delays His tarrying and you die and meet Him, that judgment follows that moment of death. Are you ready? So the idea is, and I know I've used the illustration before, but I've been broken into. I know what it means to have someone come into your home at 1 o'clock in the morning when you are trailing off to sleep. I know what it means to have the police come after, by the grace of God, the intruder is chased away. I know what that feels like. But even more, I know what it feels like the next night. And the next night. And the next night. And here's what it feels like. It feels like as a human being, I need to be alert 24/7. It felt like I could not close my eyes because I did not know when someone else might try to break, break through. By the way, for those that know the story, where did I live? I lived catty corner from the police station. I was right across the street on the opposite angle. That's where the police station was. And still a thief broke in, was entering our house. For days after that, I stayed awake, stayed awake, stayed awake. The next, what do you think I did the very next day? The very next day, I went out, I bought all kinds of security equipment. And I had a big conversation with my wife and said, now you've got a duty to protect me. (laughs) And can I just say that Pomeranians are not good guard dogs? (laughs) The illustration would devolve from there, but just simply say this, I understood what I meant to be ready. And what did it mean? There was a continual looking, a continual looking, a continual looking, a continual looking, it didn't stop. It consumed my attention. It grabbed my attention readily and frequently. It was there, it was there, it was there. The Lord is coming back and we are to watch and we are to be ready for the lost. There is no doubt that this admonition as we're gonna see in the next verse, is an admonition to know the Lord. But for the saved, it means something for us as well. The Lord has made it very clear that he has a will for us right now. And here's where we are as believers. We had better be about the Father's business. We had better be about doing the things that God has called us to do. We need to be sure that we are rising to the call of the time in which we live and not just take a hiatus because there's a coronavirus and not just take a back seat because, well, I've got to wear a mask and now I can't speak the gospel. We had better be actively reaching out into the world as disciple makers, introducing people to who Jesus is and helping those who are young in the Lord to grow in him and ourselves actively serving the king of kings, in this short vapor of a life that we've got. To verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3. Some of you think that it's 2 minutes to 12 and we're going to be done at noon. but then there's reality. And you say, but Pastor Jeff, you just spoken for the last 40 minutes on one verse. <laughs> I won't take that long in this next one. Listen, there's a perspective now that's gonna be of the lost. When it says, for when they shall say, this is not the brethren. This is for when they shall say. This is those that are not ready and not looking Here's what they're going to be saying. Peace and safety. Then it says, Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So there are two aspects to know about this peace and safety. I'm going to give you three, actually three aspects. These three concepts. The danger of disbelief, excuse me, the danger of distraction, the danger of disbelief, And the double negative. The danger of distraction, the danger of disbelief, and the double negative. So, quickly here for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. Now, when we reference peace and safety, we would say that today the world is not saying that we're in a place of peace and safety. The world will not say that everything is hunky-dory in the world and that everything's going to be just fine. But this peace and safety has a very specific, I believe, application. And that very specific application is in regard not to the political environment, the socioeconomic environment of the world, but to this very concept, the day of the Lord. So let me ask you. In the world around us, with all that's going on in the world, do you think there's much attention being given to the day of the Lord? Do you think the world is concerned at all about the day of the Lord? Do you think the world is concerned at all about the Lord is coming back and I'm going to be meeting him face to face? The world has a danger of distraction right now. The distraction is there is this agenda. And I'm going to, by the way, I just might as well say it in case it needs to be said. No Christian, in my mind, by understanding who they are, no Christian, black, white, yellow, orange, purple, whatever, no Christian has any business supporting Black Lives Matter. I'm saying it publicly and clearly because it is a godless-focused organization, and I don't care how... Much the world wants makes it about race. This is just a distraction of man's carnal mind being at being at carnal enmity with other men. And racism, no matter what banner it is, is still just the carnal writhing of man looking to take advantage of one man for his own benefit. And man has been wrought without throughout history. Throughout history. So we have this, and we have. We have the danger of distraction of politics. The idea that, oh, no, what's going to happen if, if Bernie, uh, not Bernie, what's his name? Biden. Oh, nobody's going to, what's going to happen if Biden wins? What's going to happen if Trump wins? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Listen, the idea of peace and safety is I can give my attention to all this other stuff and not be concerned about the coming of the Lord. I want to say this as clearly as I can. More impending is the doom and judgment of standing before God than any calamity that man can put before you. And by the way, don't forget the fact that the world is good at putting up another scare of this, another scare of that. By the way, do you remember, just, wasn't it last year or two years ago? What were we all supposed to be afraid of? Do you remember? I remember this the other day. We were supposed to be deathly afraid of West Nile virus. We had to be watching out for the mosquitoes and, and, and you know, what, and by the way, any of you, when you got bit by a mosquito, wonder, did you have it? There's always another thing to be afraid of. There's always another thing to be alarmed about. There's al- and by the way, that does not in any way diminish the impact of the coronavirus. Matter of fact, I did a study on this briefly Do you know how many people died from tuberculosis in 2018? Do you know how many died from tuberculosis in 2018? 1.5 million people. The story of history is that man is going to die. The day of the Lord is coming. Your day of accountability is coming. Mine is as well. Be careful about the danger of distraction. And knowing this with the distraction of all these political and socioeconomic issues, that you're not going to find hope in all that you want in this life. It is a sin-cursed world. Paul's testimony was: if there was no resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15:19. He says, if there is no re- resurrection of the dead, we are of all men most miserable. And he, and he references it, if in this life we have hope only. Have you, have ob- have you had obstacles in your life? Have you had disadvantages in your life? Had you, have you had things that have been difficult for you? So you're really going to put all the, all the hope that you have in this present world, you're going to be miserable. Why? Because salvation and hope is found in the person of Christ. Be careful about the danger of distraction when the world says peace and safety. It also has the danger of disbelief. When the world says peace and safety, it is the idea that there won't be a coming judgment of God, that the biggest fear you'll have is is which president gets elected or who's got their finger on that button or whether there'll be some meddling in an election by this group of people or whether this group of people will rise up. Listen, folks, the danger of disbelief is to believe that somehow there's some power greater than God that you need to be afraid of. And the Bible would tell us, the Lord himself would tell us, do not fear those who can destroy the what? Do not fear those who can destroy the body because there is more to your living than the frame that you're living in. And by the way, your frame is not going to last. You better know the Lord. Now there is, at the close of this, and this wraps up the message this morning, there's the danger of a distraction there's a danger of disbelief in this verse 3. But then there is a double negative. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. That's not the double negative yet. The double negative is found in, And they shall not escape. It's specifically, they shall not is where the double negative happens. Before the double negative happens... There is an illustration that says that there is no escape. And the illustration is as a woman who is heavy with child, and she's come to the expectation of the the delivery of that child. And he says, as travail upon a woman with child, so as that is inevitable, Upon the mother who's carried that baby and is now expecting that baby to, bo- to be born. And, it's, and, and by the way, um, the idea there is, is there's a full term, it's ready, and, and now you're looking for that day. This would be the acres just a short while ago. Here's the due date, and where's the baby? Here's the next day after, where's the baby? And looking every day because it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Now, the double negative here is that the Lord is coming and when he does, there will be utter destruction in two senses. But that utter destruction is given upon this double negative and they shall not escape. The interpretation of that phrase in our modern vernacular would be this, they shall not know. I heard a mother do this recently. I happened to be out in the world and I heard a mother rebuking their child. And it was, there's nothing quite like the, the, the quite discernible snap of mother's fingers. There was a snap of fingers and from a distance, it got my attention. And upon that snap of the fingers was... I said not to do this. Do you understand me? Don't. With authority. And I was ready to say, yes ma'am. <laughs> they shall not know. Other translations of this would be along the lines of, they shall not in any wise, in any way, in any fashion, there is No escape. So this is the mentality of many. Many of the lost are in this belief. I don't even believe there is a God. So what do I have to worry about? Peace and safety. I don't believe, by the way, many who name the name of Christ would fall into this category. I don't believe there is a hell. What do I have to worry about? Peace and safety. I've got nothing to worry about. I don't believe any of that stuff's going to happen. I've got nothing to worry about. Peace, safety. Understand the gospel message in this. No one is safe from or will escape. The judgment of God, which is the ultimate end is the lake of fire and separation from God eternally. No one, not one person will escape that who doesn't know Christ. That judgment is going to fall on all. They shall not escape. So this room, this place today, is a gathering of believers. And as a gathering of believers, there may be people here who are not saved. This message would apply to any lost person, and it's simply this. Out of all you could be concerned about in the world today, the greatest concern you should have is for your soul. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world? and lost his soul. There is no greater sense of doom. So the call is to let this day be your day of salvation. Be ready. Believer, you and I do have some of these dangers about being caught up with all this distraction around us. And it is difficult. Everybody in this room, in one fashion or another, has been dealing with to wear a mask, to, to not wear a mask. How much you social distance? How much you not social distance? How much do you avoid? How much you come together? And I'm going to tell you this, folks. The gospel of Christ has been hindered during this time there it's not even arguable the gospel of Christ has been hindered and I certainly don't have all the answers but I do know this God has made us for this time he has made us for this season he has called us to such a time as this there's no mistake in the hand of God and listen Some of us are walking through life distracted. We got our job, we got our stuff, we got our things, and the Lord is entirely not front and center in our lives. I'm going to ask you this What's it going to matter how much money you made and how much stuff you had when you die? When you and I come to the end of our days, I believe this question will be prevalent and front and center to the heart of every human being. Did I live my life for God's glory? Did I serve him the way he wanted me to serve him? Now listen, this moment in this service today, I want you to have an eye to the future. I want you to appropriately know the reality of what's coming and what God has called us to. And I want to ask you this, what are you doing about it now? And this isn't an expectation of a pastor on your life. This is just saying there's coming a day. There's coming a day. And by God's grace, let us seize this day. Magnify our Lord, sell out for him, serve him. The world we are in needs Jesus.